All right. Good morning, everybody, and thanks so much, Amy, for those enthusiastic announcements. Uh, it's great to have Amy on staff, and in fact, if this is your first Sunday, and it's the first Sunday that Jesse bailed. He's on vacation at the beach, so I don't think he could have done that uh, without Amy being here, so great to have Amy, and uh, thanks for those announcements, and just really quite a blessing for me to be part of the leadership team here at Sierra Bible Church. Um, I also want to say thanks to Brad Knoll and the worship team. We have so much amazing giftedness in our church. And uh, I'll tell you, Monday night, we spent, uh, elders spent a couple nights, a couple hours in this room discussing at length uh, the topic of worship. And it's just on the leader's hearts to want to exalt God in a way that's pleasing to him, that's reverent, um, that's biblical, and that's worshipful, and it's just great to have men like Brad leading us, our church, in that direction. If you don't have a Bible, uh, put your hand up. We'll be in the book of Psalms this morning, in the book of Psalms, so you'll need a Bible, and then we'll be, uh, today is a communion Sunday, so we'll be taking the Lord's Supper together uh, the last few minutes of the morning, so keep that in mind as well. And it might be helpful uh, to have your Bible during that time as well. So uh, Jesse's gone. Caleb's gone. Uh, Wayne's gone. He had a dear friend uh, pass away from his past church in Utah. So he's out there uh, doing a memorial service. So uh, I think I'm the backup to the backup to the backup <laughs> to the backup this morning. So, <laughs> uh, But the Lord's laid a lot on my heart and... Uh, I think today is probably, uh, which is common for me, but going to be a challenge more of what not to say than what to say. But the Lord's laid a lot on my heart to share with you. I asked Jesse, what should I speak on? And he said, up to you. And that's almost harder to be in that position than it is to be assigned something or just go verse by verse through a chapter every week. Um, So as I was thinking and praying and asking the Lord, what we should cover. Um, The easiest way often to answer that question is just to look inside and think through what is the Lord teaching me. And I feel like in this last year and a half, he's continually brought my heart and prayer and mind back to the book of Psalms um, for encouragement, strengthening, comfort. And then uh, just recently, in recent weeks and months, um, even in counseling and encouraging friends, It seems like it's been coming around to the book of Psalms, and uh, also the Lord's been teaching me just through what we've been studying every other Sunday night at the well, which if you don't know about the well, it's a new ministry for young adults here at SBC. It's actually happening tonight. If you're in this room, you're invited to that, um, young adults, and uh, that's that's just a great new ministry, and we've been teaching on topics similar to what I'm going to cover today, so Um, With that, let me pray, and then I will introduce this, and we'll dig in. Okay, Brad's still around. (laughs) Lord, thank you so much for Sierra Bible Church, for all the gifted people that we have, um, for the leaders you've raised up, for our worship team, and just the amazing depth of giftedness and variety um, that you put together to uh, help us faithfully come to you in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, as it says in Colossians. And I pray that this morning, uh, this study of the book of Psalms would help us do that in an even deeper way. 
your name. Amen. Okay, so Psalms, parabolas, and the passion of Christ. Psalms, parabolas, and the passion of Christ. What the heck is a parabola? (laughs) Well, I got lucky. I thought it was going to be way too cheesy of a sermon title. And the first second I said it out loud this morning to some guys in the back, um, Kit, who's a skier, spoke up and said, oh, parabolic skis. (laughs) And I was like, yes. (laughs) Only here in Tahoe would the term parabola actually be used in everyday conversation to a person. (laughs) Um, So... Parabolic skis are uh, something that came around in the early 2000s. Skis for decades before that were kind of straight and parallel and super boring. (laughs) You couldn't make a whole lot of creative turns. Now it's a lot easier to turn, ski with shape, longer turns, shorter turns. And then, of course, later, rocker was added in so that you could float better and powder and get into all kinds of new areas and terrain, and it just added a lot of color and fun to skiing. And psalms are, um, psalms are similar. They sit in Scripture in a very unique way. And then passion, i just defining terms in my title here, passion biblically or in Christianese, that word passion really refers to the suffering of Christ, specifically his suffering on the cross. Um, passion in modern vernacular is more often like something you're really excited about or super into. But in this message today, I'm more speaking of passion in terms of the suffering of Christ. So, and then, and then Psalms. Now, this might surprise you about the book of Psalms, but as I was preparing for this, um, I came across a couple commentaries, a dictionary. They pointed out the actual term Psalms in the original language can mean twangings. (laughs) So like when a string is plucked, it's not really making a note, a chord. It's not quite a harmony. It's a a harsh, quick ringing sound, like that of a plucked banjo string, a throb or a twitch with pain or tension. Um, So really, psalms, by definition, are more unfinished than you might expect. So psalming or twanging for the artist and the musician is more that process that you're going through to make the music, but it might not sound pretty in the beginning. So I asked Brad if he'd uh, stay an extra second and just maybe twang something for us. (laughs) All right, yeah, that sounded not that good. That was pretty bad. (laughs) Thank you for that awful-sounding twang. Um, Okay, and then with what little I know about music composition and theory, just from what I remember, there's kind of, sometimes you'll have two notes that kind of build tension, and then they'll resolve. And so, could you do that for us? Awesome. Okay, thank you, Brad. <laughs> so he's got the gifts for that. I don't, but, but, but that is what's going on when, when we speak to one another in psalms, hymns, or spiritual psalms. It doesn't have to come out pretty. It doesn't always have to come out perfect. It might sound unfinished or incomplete. And when, when you do that, you're, you're right in the center of what's going on here in this beautiful book. Now, I, I want to mention 
Um, you should know this, just in case I pass out on stage. <laughs> I had some really bad uh, sciatic nerve pain right here in my hip earlier this week. I was out for about uh, almost two days flat on my bed, um, and I've recovered, but I gave the guy a heads up. I was like, hey, I, I don't know if I can preach on Sunday. Um, but I'm here. Uh, your prayers have been strengthening and encouraging, and as long as I don't sneeze... I think we're going to make it. So uh, no long-haired cats here in the front row. That's my only allergy. Are we good? No. I'm just, okay. Um, but boy, did my back twang with pain when that sciatic nerve fired, that throb or twitch. Um, in, in my hip, I was disabled temporarily, um, but now I'm back. But it's interesting so I was like, Lord, I, I got to speak on Sunday. Why are you doing this to me? This, this is easily avoidable. This just came up out of nowhere. And uh, it was interesting because, you know, the most comfortable position I found <laughs> while having sciatic nerve pain was on my knees <laughs> like this, sort of supporting my back on an ottoman going, oh, I see why this is going on. <laughs> so... <laughs> In the midst of that throb or pain or twanging sharpness, um, I, I, I saw, was able to see, I think, kind of the Lord's purpose in it. Um, so let me show you how Psalms do this. Open up to the book of Psalms, if you would. Psalm 1, please. Um, Psalm chapter 1. So Psalm 1 is kind of a table of contents. It's sort of a little abstract or excerpt of what's the general pattern for the life of the believer. It's just six verses, so I'm going to read the whole thing. How happy, happy, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the law of the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. So that word like, he is like a tree. This is key to Hebrew poetry. It's a comparison. And he's taking maybe an abstract concept and giving it concrete expression that's vivid, something you can relate to. So do that now in your head you guys living locally here in Truckee have easy access to that happy spot in your mind. Picture that stream, your favorite spot, your favorite alpine lake with that firmly planted tree. And it's, it's in a good spot. It's a symbol of strength. It's got nourishment. It's got water. It's well-fed. It's um, going to last. Now here's the contrast, verse 4. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like... There's that comparison word again. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. So they're more like the aspen leaves that we see sort of blowing around town, not as established. Once they've sort of lost their attachment to the tree, there's nothing firmly planted. There's ups and downs, and they don't really have any direction. Verse 5, Therefore the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. What do you do with your aspen leaves when they fall? They just... You put them in the trash can, they're hauled off. Some people burn them. There's not much purpose for them at that point. Verse 6, For the Lord watches over the way of the 
righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. So that sets up for us a general pattern, kind of a model or a template for basically how the Christian life should go for us, what the life of the believer looks like. But then, chapter 2 and on are basically all the exceptions to Psalm 1, which is real life. Life happens and makes you think, Lord, but I thought you said in Psalm 1 that the believers prosper. Whatever he does prospers, and the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but I don't feel that well watched over right now. I feel abandoned, alone. And so watch this. Just, we're just going to rapid fire through uh, two or three psalms, just the first and second verse. So Psalm 2, why do the nations rage? So 1-1 one, one started off, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked? And then 2-1, why do the nations rage? Totally different emotion here. And the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. Ever feel like government leaders are conspiring together against the Lord and his anointed one? That they don't have the same agenda that you have? Well, that's how the psalmist felt. Psalm 3, Lord, how my foes increase. There are many who attack me. Many say about me, there's no help for him in God. There's no help for him in God. You ever feel like that? That uh, people, peer pressure, that you seeking God, going to church is a total waste of time. Psalmist felt that way. Four, answer me when I call God who vindicates me. You freed me from affliction. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. How long, exalted ones, will my honor be insulted? How long will you love what is worthless and pursue a lie? Lord, answer me. 5-1, same sort of complaint. Or that was 5-1. No, it wasn't. 5-1, listen to my words, Lord. Consider my sighing. Pay attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for I pray to you. Verse 3, in the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I plead my case to you and watch expectantly. Lord, I, I'm getting up in the morning. I'm, I'm going through the routine. I'm doing my devotions. I'm coming before you in prayer, and I don't feel like you're listening to anything I say. Pay attention to the sound of my cry. La last one here is six. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger. Don't discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, Lord, for I am weak. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are shaking. My whole being is shaking with terror. And you, Lord, terror, you, Lord, how long? Wait, wait, I thought you were, in Psalm 1, I thought you rebuked the unrighteous. I thought it was the wicked that doesn't prosper. In fact, Lord, actually, everything sometimes seems like it's the opposite of Psalm 1. It seems like the wicked prosper, and the believers are the ones really going through it. So this is where Psalms are beautiful, and this is where the parabola comes in. <laughs> so a parabola is this shape, this U-shape. Uh, and I just wanted to use it as kind of the outline to illustrate where the Psalms go and where this message is going, and then at the end we'll see it in the life of Christ. But it's, you've got these highs, and then through these lows, Psalm 23, the valley of the shadow of death, and then Psalms brings us back to the high. And Actually, as I was preparing this slide, um, it's probably better, I probably should have put this truth untruth or doubt or complaint, and then back to truth again. Another way to say it is you, you know in your head the truth of God's sovereignty, God's love, his care for you, 
But then you go for, through these wavering periods, these moments of doubt, which we've just pointed out in verse 1 of like the first five psalms, these periods where it, it's just not going according to what you know, and your feelings are, are not in line with what you know to be true, and then you've kind of got to, through the psalms and through feeling yourself with the word and truth, bring yourself to that place um, that you know to be true. Um, through God's word and through what's modeled here. But the beauty of the Psalms is that it allows that space for you to twang, for you to pray and come before God with unfinished sentences, with complaints, with frustrations, with doubts, with fears, um, injustice. And, and that's where kind of the Psalms live is in that space Now, look at the last verse of each of those first few psalms and see how it sort of comes around and resolves, like like Brad did uh, with some of those notes and chords. Psalm 212, uh, the very, actually the very last sentence, all who take refuge in him are happy. So after the nation's rage, it comes around to the happiness of those who take refuge in him. Psalm 3 8, salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessings be on your people. So he's back to a place of blessing. Psalm 4 8, I will both lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, Lord, make me live in safety. Peace and safety after he was fearful and threatened. Uh, 5 uh, 5 12 ends with, You, Lord, bless the righteous one. You surround him with favor like a shield. Even though he didn't feel that way when he started the psalm, um, by the end of it, as he processes through this, this, this process that the Lord lays out, he, he's back to that point of truth. Um, so that's what's neat about the psalms, and that God would put that in Scripture for us to see and be able to see that, hey, if we're going through those doubts, if we're going through those times of darkness and loneliness, that you're not the first person that's been there. People have been through this, and they've, they've been able to um, resolve by filling themselves with truth. So as I was preparing this, I came across this really neat little volume um, that the um, ESV publishers put out. Um, but this is just the, just the Psalms. It's a Bible. It's not a book. It's not a commentary. But it's just just the Psalms in one little volume, and it's got just two or three paragraphs of commentary. And it doesn't even say who writes them. It's kind of anonymous. I think it was a team that made them. But I found it just beautifully laid out and published and helpful. Um, But the intro to this uh, was just everything I sort of wanted to say in this message to introduce us to the Psalms was probably said better here. (laughs) So my slides are kind of taken from this intro, but let's use this. And so today, unfortunately, we won't really dig into any one psalm. It's more like we're going to kind of water ski across the top and kind of go fast rather than put on the tanks and dive deep and scuba dive. We're just going quickly across the top, but I just want you to feel like psalms are useful to you, accessible to you, and sort of a go-to book of the Bible that helps you through these difficult times. Um, But, yeah, so in this intro, he points out um, the Psalms are unlike any other portion of Scripture. 
This is the one book of the Bible written to God. Written to God. So Psalms are unique. Psalms are unique. And that's a really neat insight right there that um, this, this is the only section of Scripture written to God. The rest of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is mostly God to man. But here we get thoughts of man to God. Um, so I just want to put Psalms in their context. Um, so in the Old and New Testaments, we basically have God's revelation to man. And the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy, are called the Pentateuch. And that's kind of the bylaws for Israel. That's sort of their foundation. It's their constitution. It's how they're supposed to be and behave and live together in community as a country. And then you've got the historical books, which are kind of like showing that out in historical narrative. And it's not going so well. They're not really living it out how God wanted them to as he laid it out in the Pentateuch. We see a lot, lot of messy stuff. Kings, Israel's divided. We see all the raunchiness in the book of Judges. And they're not doing this right. So the prophets come along and call them back to what they know to be true and what they were taught in the Pentateuch. The New Testament is set up similar where you've got the Gospels, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is, this is God's revelation to us for how to live Then the book of Acts is kind of the launching of the church. It's a narrative. It's kind of how things got going and got started. And then the epistles kind of call you back like, hey, church, this is what Jesus taught, but I'm I'm seeing some problems here. I'm seeing some errors, and I want to encourage you to live how you were taught in the Gospels. Um, So whether it's Galatians and their problems with legalism, or the book of Corinthians and all their sexual immorality and disunity. Um, it's calling them back to what they learned in the Gospels. So Psalms fits right about there. <laughs> okay? And this is the point I'm building up to. Um, Psalms are everywhere from Genesis to Revelation. They are all over the place. Um, and psalms are poems, they're these little twangs, and it's any time sort of someone in Scripture responds back to God with what they're learning or what they're praying and how they're processing. And we see the first little poem as soon as Genesis in the garden, Adam and Eve, um, where Adam, after naming the animals and meeting Eve, he's like, oh, Eve, woman, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That's the first little psalm. And they continue like this. Um, Moses writes psalms. There's psalms um, in Judges by Deborah. The book of Job is probably the longest psalm. It's basically a 42-chapter psalm where he is processing everything we've talked about. Um, Samuel has psalms. Hezekiah writes a psalm in Isaiah after he was sick. And recovered. So you see kind of his prayer process through that near death experience. There's Psalms in the New Testament. Um, Paul even sometimes bursts out in Psalms um, throughout his epistles, and uh, they just fit everywhere. And if you read them actually in a chronological Bible, um, it's kind of neat because if you have, there's some Bibles out there that show the Bible just chronologically. Right now, they're all grouped together in one book in the middle of your Bible. But here, you would see them sprinkled 
lots of authors over a hundred years, and you kind of see where they fit within the story and what's going on in people's lives as they write these psalms. So, um, psalm, if, if scripture is a beautiful forest, psalms are the aspen trees. Psalms are the aspen trees. And the scriptures, the forest is beautiful, but when you're out there in the fall and you're biking or hiking, it's really those aspen trees that cause you to hit the brakes, stop, slow down, reflect, and just enjoy the beauty of God's glory, his creation. And that's really a lot of the way how psalms are throughout scripture. Okay, psalms are exemplary. And this, again, I'm just piggybacking the beautiful intro from that little volume. So we're taught in many other places in Scripture how to pray. Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer. Paul tells us to pray without ceasing, which is actually what uh, Jesse preached on last week. But the Psalms are themselves prayers. The Psalms are themselves prayers. And they're there in the Bible for you to access. Now, there's different types of learners, right? Some of you, when Scripture says, pray without ceasing, you're just a good student and obedient, and you go and you pray because Scripture says to, so you're going to. Other people um, are more learn by example. Walk in someone's footsteps. See how it's done. I was thinking about this. Uh, we had guys, we, my my cousin and brother-in-law and brother and nephews went to southern Utah a couple weeks ago. Um, we just had a fun guys weekend, and one day we went and um, rid, uh, rented razors, four-wheelers, and uh, we were going to go out on the sand dunes with them, and we're all excited. I mean, helmets are on and everything, and then they sit you down and put you through this little safety you know, presentation of how to operate the razors and don't, you know, go up too high on the sand dunes and be careful you don't tip it and all this stuff. And we're just like, yeah, 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 whatever. And we get out there and uh, sure enough, within about five minutes, once they cut us loose, it's like, oh, Uncle Scott flipped the razor. (laughs) And so he's on his side and they're buckled in and we're like, okay, maybe we should have paid more attention. But sometimes it's not until you really get in the driver's seat and do it yourself that you really get what other places are trying to teach you. Um, so Psalms just model it out. This is how your prayer life should look, including the dirty stuff, including the unpretty stuff. Just put it in those prayers and come to before God um, with, with whatever you got. Bring your sin, bring your doubt, bring your confusion Um, bring your accusations about how unjust God is and watch him graciously correct you like he did with Job. (laughs) Uh, I had uh, just a privilege for about 10 years uh, to be a member at Grace Community Church and I went to college down there and John MacArthur, the pastor who's known for his preaching And you might have heard his podcast or Grace to You or something like that. Well, that's great. But being at his church, one of the best things was hearing the pastoral prayer every week and just learning how to pray and how to process scripture and life or current events and just hearing those prayers, which he would spend a lot of time on. It's like I, I learned a lot of ways how to pray because after seeing it modeled, it was so helpful. And unfortunately prayers and stuff don't really get published on all the podcasts, but um, 
that was one of the, the neatest things about being there. Um, third, Psalms are vicarious, vicarious, meaning it gives you a chance to kind of walk a mile in someone else's shoes. And whatever they were going through is what you're able to go through. So, Again, quoting from this great little intro. In this way, the Psalms are uniquely suited to foster communion with God. The Psalms give voice to our hearts. The wide range of human feeling is here given concrete expression. We are given language to address God with thanks and praise, but also with our feelings of desolation or despair or overwhelming guilt because of our sin. And that is just so encouraging because if you felt like you had to pray perfectly all the time I don't think we'd be praying a lot but the fact that it gives us this space to process in our own words and in our own frustrations um, these feelings whether thanks and praise or overwhelming guilt because of our sin is just so helpful Uh, there's so many examples I could go to with this but I'm just I just want you to see Psalm 51 Psalm 51 open there, and we'll read through some of these verses. So this is a psalm of repentance. My my Bible says a prayer for restoration. And then I I want you to see, it might be in a different font or italics, but there's a little subtext. It says, For the choir director, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after he had gone to Bathsheba. So that gives you a little bit of a historical context. What was going on in David's life when he, when he felt this, when he prayed this, when he wrote this? And that's actually uh, scripture. That's, that's not scholars later adding footnotes. Um, this is there to bring it to life. So that, like I said, it can become vicarious so that you can walk a mile in David's shoes. And let me, so let me do... <laughs> what that little footnote does and place this in context because knowing what David went through helps bring this psalm to life. And this is after the lowest point of David's life. I mean, it gets dark for him. He blows it like no person in Scripture has really even blown it before. He sees Bathsheba on a roof of a nearby building and he he wants her. And it's probably stronger than an affair. I mean, this is forced. Get her for me. Servant brings her back. They have their time together. She gets pregnant. David goes, oh no. His husband's out on the battlefield. Bring Uriah back. You know, David's the commander-in-chief. Bring Uriah back, and he conspires and plots a murder, and it, he, he pulls it off. <laughs> I don't know if he pulled it off well, but he pulls it off. So there's rape, there's murder, there's conspiracy. He's a person in power using his military in the wrong way. He has blown it like no one's blown it. Yet God, in another place, calls him a man after his own heart. Not because he's perfect, but because he repents so well. That's what makes David a hero, is not his perfection, but his repentance. Not the sin, but his response to the sin. And when you've blown it, maybe not as bad as David, which is, you can actually take his encouragement, but when you've blown it, 
you, you can go to this psalm and see how he processed through a situation as bad and as sinful and as horrendous and offensive to God as he did. Look at, look at how he responds. Verse 1, be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love. I know you love me still, even through how bad I've offended you. According to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Blot, that's the idea of a sponge. Just soak up all this disgusting sin and transgression that I've just... To completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I'm conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you alone I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you judge, when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. If you want to judge me, sentence me, punish me, now you would be 100% in the right, God. Indeed, I was guilty, verse 5. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. 6. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self, and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear the joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. God, I know I've blown it. I know I deserve to be abandoned by you. I know I deserve to be struck down right now. I confess. I agree. I You'd be 100% in the right to do that, but please don't. Please forgive me. Please blot it out. Please overlook it. Please turn your face away. Create in me a clean heart. Restore me. Take me back to the place we were before I did all this. So when you're going through guilt or shame or sin and you've blown it, Psalm 51 is a great go-to, and we could give so many more examples of how the Psalms do this, but... um, we cannot miss this last point, so we're going to keep moving. Psalms point to Jesus. The Psalms point to Jesus. Again, from the intro to that little Psalms book. Through it all, we see the Savior walking through the Psalms. He is the one who embodies and fulfills all that we find in this book. He gives us supreme reason to give thanks and praise to God. He is the one who experienced true desolation and despair. Enduring separation from God so that his people never will. Psalm 22, 1-2. Jesus rinses us clean through his atoning work and assures us that he's wiped away all the guilt of our sin. So what I want to do now is flip to the New Testament, Matthew 26 and 27. And this is just going to bring to life what we've been talking about. What we're going to see here is that Jesus himself used the Psalms in a way that we've been discussing. In his heart, in his mind, he went there to find expression for what he was feeling. Matthew 26 and 27. Psalm 23 mentions, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. This is the valley of the shadow of death. I mean, these are some of the darkest paragraphs in all of scripture that we're about to read. This is is loneliness like no one's ever experienced loneliness. Matthew 26, 36. 26, 36. Garden of Gethsemane, the night before the crucifixion. 
Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he told the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Just, just please stay awake for five seconds. He said to them, verse 39, going a little farther, he fell face down and prayed, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. What's the cup? The cup in scripture is the cup of God's wrath that is being stored out to pour out on sin. It's the cup of God's wrath. And Jesus knows what's going on here. He's he's part of this plan. He knows what's about to happen to him tomorrow. He knows that tomorrow afternoon, he will hang on the cross and suffer for the sins of everyone who would ever believe. That God's wrath toward every sin you and I committed, past and future, in that moment, somehow, in God's plan, in God's mystery, would be poured out on Christ and he would get the punishment for the sins you and I committed. He was going to take it all in one gulp, the cup of God's wrath. It's nerve-wracking. He is super unsettled about this. Verse 40, and he came, and he needs some encouragement, some friends. He came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He asked Peter, so couldn't you stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Lord, I don't really want to go through with this, but if it's what you want, then it's what I want. He aligned his will with God's will. Great way to pray. And he came again and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. They just have no idea what their friend is going through right now. These are the guys he just spent three years with every day. Meals, travel, ministry. and they, He cannot find any encouragement from them, no strength. They, they're so unconcerned that they can fall asleep. Verse 44, after leaving them, he went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. And then he came to the disciples and said to them, you still sleeping and resting? See, the time is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's go. See, my betrayer is near. So they were no help at all. This is loneliness. Now, the next day on the cross, watch where his heart and mind go in this kind of a condition. Um, 27, 46. 20, or 45. 27, 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land, some kind of supernatural eclipse that when the light of the world was crucified, the light of the sun went dark as well. 46, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice in Aramaic, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why have you abandoned me? That verse 
That prayer is straight out of Psalm 22. So the point here is when Jesus was at his lowest point, his hardest night, that valley of the shadow of death, and his friends are nowhere to be found, taking a nap over around the corner, the only place his heart and mind could go to find some kind of encouragement for his soul was back to David. Because there, with David, is someone who knows what he's going through, at least to some degree, not entirely. But there is a good king, anointed by God, with the pressure of the world on his shoulders, frustrated about how Saul is chasing him and persecuting him and trying to kill him. And David's like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's in the Psalms that Jesus finds comfort and encouragement at his loneliness when no one else around him would provide that. That's what the Psalms do. That's what the Psalms do. And by the way, we're going to get into it. This gets tricky because Jesus knows the truth. And by the way, Psalm 22, I'll show you in a sec, it, it does resolve. Even though it starts with that twang, with that dissonant chord that doesn't really sound pretty, it ends pretty. Jesus knows where it's going, but he just chooses in that moment to quote the first part of that. Because, but, but is that true? Is that, is that did, he act, did he say that truthfully, that God had abandoned him? And <laughs> there's, two, there's a lot to say about this theologically. But the short answer is no. For sure No. Like, what is, what is it like God the Father had a tea time the Friday afternoon of his son's crucifixion and he's nowhere to be? Oh, yeah, Jesus is getting crucified this afternoon. I better kind of oversee this. No, not at all. Jesus, God is right there in the face of his son. He knows exactly what is going on in that moment. He's there even though Jesus isn't feeling it in that moment. He's there, but Jesus in his humanity in that moment, isn't feeling it, and this is biblical. It's okay. If the sinless Savior went through that, how much more can we in our fallen sinful selves go through that process of doubt and confusion and questioning? Absolutely amazing look at the true humanity of Christ in this passage. Now, on the other side of it, why have you abandoned me? There, there is some truth there, and I'm trying to say this really carefully without being teaching heresy, <laughs> but there's, so, I mean, in that moment on the cross, the, all the sins of everyone who ever committed any sin were on his shoulders, and God, who's holy, cannot look upon sin, and sin cannot be in his presence. So, so there was something going on there, but yet God was in it. And this doesn't have an answer. I'm trying to bring out the tension and saying it's the tension that's okay because even Jesus went through the tension and the doubt and the struggle. That, that's more the point than anything to this. But we've got to see how this resolves. So in Psalm 22, it does resolve. Um, you can listen or flip back there if you're a fast flipper. Um, Look at this, Psalm 22. It's just amazing that this was written hundreds of years before the crucifixion because it's so relevant 
to the crucifixion. But uh, verse 11, Psalm 22, 11, don't be far from me because distress is near and there's no one to help. Many bulls surround me. 13, they open their mouths against me. Lions mauling and roaring. I'm poured out like water. When Jesus was poked with the spear, it says blood and water came out of his side. All my bones are disjointed. They broke his legs. Roman soldiers did. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You put me into the dust of death. Tongue sticks to the roof of the mouth. The next thing he'd say is, I thirst. I thirst. So wow, does he find himself in this psalm. But skip down, middle of verse 21, you answered me. It resolves, it comes around, the parabola finishes, the low point becomes a high point. He figures out, yeah, he remembers God is there, you answered me. Verse 24, he is not despised or abhorred the torment of the oppressed. He did not hide his face from him, but listened to him for when he cried for help. He didn't hide his face. He was there in that moment, and he listened to the prayer. Jesus knows this. Jesus knows where it's going. He knows how this is going to resolve. But there was space there for him to go through what he was feeling. And Philippians sums this up so well. This is the great parabola of Scripture. Just listen. Um, this is my last little slide here. Philippians 2. See how this works itself out in, uh, in God's providence. So on the left, God, man, death. On the right, every knee under earth, every knee on earth, become Lord. So there's a downward humbling and an upward exalting. So Philippians 2.6, Jesus, who existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. So he becomes a man, but he doesn't just stop there keeps going down. When he had become a man, he humbled himself to become obedient to the point of death. So not only does he become a man, but he becomes a man that dies, and and he doesn't even stop there. It's not a normal death, even to death on a cross. It's a crucifixion, the worst kind of death. And at the cross, that's the turning point at the bottom there. That's the low point, but this is where things take a turn. Nine, for this reason, God highly exalted him Gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus went low. He's going to be exalted high. The the parabola finishes. There's space in there for him to go through that honest process of feeling abandoned. Um but it resolves in the end. God works all things together for the good of those who love him. That's in Romans, and that's what happened here. That's what happens in Psalms. So that's where we can find encouragement. Um, Hopefully that helps. A couple next steps. If you're new to this and you've never read Psalms or you're not much of a devotional Bible reader, the best advice I can give you is from J.C. Ryle. The way to do a thing is to do it, and the way to read the Bible is actually to read it. So you want to start reading psalms? Start reading psalms. <laughs> that would be my advice. Um, maybe you're past your first steps as a toddler, kind of wobbly, you're walking well. Become a psalmist. Do psalming yourself. 
Get a little journal. I mean, this is my uh, prayer journal. I use this a lot. And just, just to write it out, but include all the bad stuff. <laughs> Don't feel like they've got to be perfect. Um, read the Psalms and then write Psalms yourself. Write out your own prayers. And if you're running or teaching others to walk, if you've got kids and you want to bring this out more and teach them, um, you might read it in a chronological Bible or with a little commentary, something that tells you what's going on in each psalm. This little book that I keep endorsing is awesome because it does exactly that. Um, I I would recommend that for sure. And then as you read the psalms, have a few go-to psalms for yourself. Just make a little collection, a little index. Psalms that are great for nature. Living around Truckee, you should have something like Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, your handiwork. And we just see that all over the place. You should have a psalm to express your thoughts during that. You should have a repentance psalm. You should have a thanksgiving psalm that's kind of your go-to. You should have a trusting God in troubled times through coronavirus psalm. My wife memorized Psalm 37. Another gal told me her one for that was Psalm 46. And just start to make this little list for yourself, and I think the psalms will become very useful and practical as they have been to me and to Jesus and so many others throughout history. So let's pray. Um, The worship team's going to come back up, and we'll, um, we'll do a brief moment Uh, of communion and let you guys go. Lord, thank you so much for this amazing book, these these aspen trees sprinkled throughout the forest of your scriptures that just bring light and color and honesty um, for those of us who experience doubt, confusion, wavering, when our faith isn't always solid. Psalms are there. You put them there the biggest section of all of scripture and you just welcome this and and we come before you now Um, even if it's just to bring our sin we bring our sin if we bring our praise we'll bring our praise but thank you for psalms and just the encouragement they give us and help us to uh, find you in them as we read them amen okay Um, so as these men hand out Um, the bread and the juice. Uh, We're going to take the Lord's Supper. So um, just hold these in your hand. Um, We'll take them together in just a minute. You guys can go ahead and pass those out. Uh, But I want to do some psalming as we meditate right now during the Lord's Supper. So 1 Corinthians 11 talks about uh, is a passage about the Lord's Supper. And as you're passing those out, let me just remind you a little thing about the Corinthians. This, This church was the biggest junk show in the whole New Testament. This, they did, it wasn't pretty there. I mean, they're sleeping around with one another, they're stealing from one another, Um, They're stealing from the church. There's sexual immorality. There's all kinds of disunity, doctrinal division. And Paul, at the end, he's just like, oh my gosh, this church, this church is in chaos and confusion and immorality. And he invites them to the Lord's Supper and he sets it up as a time of self-examination. 1 Corinthians 11.27, So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup, which we're about to do, in an unworthy manner, 
which he was concerned the Corinthians would do, will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself. Examine himself in this way. Let him eat the bread and drink the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So it says when you take the Lord's Supper, we want it to be a sincere time of personal reflection and introspection and self-examination. Audit your heart, your life, your mind, your soul. How's your walk with the Lord? How's your time in the Word? How's your prayer life? Are you serving? Are you giving Him the time, the resources that He deserves? Self-examination. Psalm 139 is the self-examination psalm. So as those are passing out or being distributed, Psalm 139 gives us space. Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know when I sit and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You know me inside and out. He knows you. He knows each one of you intimately, inside and outside. He knows what's going on in your soul in your heart and then at the end of Psalm 139 search me God and know my heart test me and know my concerns see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way you guys yeah so search me and know me God I you know me but help me know me (laughs) the heart is desperately wicked above all else. Who can understand it? It says in Jeremiah. I I don't even know my own self sometimes, Lord. Show me what you want to show me. Bring to surface the sins you need me to confess and take me back to the gospel. Take me back to the cross. You don't need to beat yourself up for those sins. As you invite God in to help you see your sin, Once those come up, put them on Christ. He's there to suffer in your place so you don't have to suffer. He takes the punishment you deserve. And he trades, he gifts you his righteousness in return. He gets your sin, you get his perfect life. Kind of a bad deal for him, but a great deal for you. So God treats Christ on the cross as if he lived your sinful life. Then he blesses you as if you lived his perfect life. That's what the Lord's Supper is something to remember. Let's do that for a second. Just quietly search me, know me, invite him in. Ask him to show you secret sins that you don't even see, but that your spouse sees. Supper is a wonderful time to reflect and just pause and be reminded of the gospel, reminded of the cross, reminded of our need for him, 
and that his body broken, his body broken. You don't need to suffer for your sin. Christ already suffered for you in your place. You don't need to be punished. He was punished for you. When you repent of your sin and believe in him, that's exactly what happens. Let me pray, and then we'll partake together. Lord, thank you for Jesus, his body broken for us, the blood that he shed so that our blood wouldn't have to be shed. He took the punishment we deserve. We get all the blessings he earned for his obedience, his perfection. Just the sin that you've shown us now, help us to repent to those we need to repent and make things right with, but especially before you as even David did before you, um, to make things right. And uh, we just take this Lord's Supper now as a time of remembrance in order to do that together as a body. your name, amen. So go ahead and take that bread and the juice. And we'll hand it over to Brad.